Exodus chapter 14. I want to minister a very simple message today. We won't be long. Uh, but I want to minister a message called Miracle in Motion. Miracles in Motion. And um, I want to take a look at a concept here. Uh, we know that our God is a miracle working God. Amen. If, if you don't know that, you can't stick around here very long and not figure that out. We believe in a God that does miracles. We believe in a God that does uh, beyond what we can ask or think. We, we believe in a God that is not limited to natural abilities, natural resources, natural ideas. Uh, but he has a way to work miracles. Uh, I heard someone say one time that miracles, what's a miracle to man is natural to God. What is a miracle to man is just natural. That's just the way he works. That's just the way he operates. And he doesn't get surprised when a miracle takes place. He doesn't get surprised when someone walks on water or when uh, 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 five loaves and two fish are multiplied. He doesn't uh, get surprised when water parts so that people can walk across on dry ground. He doesn't get surprised when a 75-year-old man that has been barren uh, uh, and, and is beyond childbearing years is all of a sudden able to have children. He doesn't get surprised by these things. That's how God operates. And, you know, many times, you know, we want God to be relatable. We want God to be relevant. We want God to be a God uh, that we can understand and that we can uh, conceptualize. But I think sometimes in doing so, we dumb down who he really is. Because our idea of God being relevant means he comes down to us rather than us raising up our, our thinking to him. And he said, set your mind on things above, not on things below. Set your mind where I'm at. That means raise yourself, bring yourself up to where I'm at. And God is a God that will make himself known to you wherever you are. God is a God that will reveal himself to you in whatever situation you're in. But we cannot uh, uh, devalue or miss the fact that our God is a miracle worker. And there are just some times in life he's going to do things in your life that are beyond your natural thought process. And you'll have to call it a miracle. You'll have to call it a wonder. You'll have to label it. I can't understand it. I can't figure it out. But God came through. Amen. And, 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 and sometimes I think that we, we live our lives as if the God that we read about in the Bible is not the same God that's with us today. The God that wrote, the God that spoke, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. That same God. He's here today. The same God that parted the waters is working for you today. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Even Jesus said himself in John chapter 14 that the works that you've seen me do, you will do in even greater works. Why? Because I go to my father. God is not done working miracles. I said God is not done working miracles. He is not done working in our lives and doing things that are beyond natural ability. God is not done healing the sick. Can I get an amen? God is not done raising the dead. Can I get an amen? God is not done multiplying what you have, even when it's beyond your ability to multiply. Amen. God is not done working miracles in our lives. But as I look at throughout Scripture, and I'm just going to pull one 
one, one reference here this morning. But when you look through Scripture, there is something that precedes every miracle. There's something that comes before the miracle shows up. Because we have this idea that God's going to move and God's going to do miracles and God's going God's to work on our behalf regardless of what we do. And, and this is not the process that we see in Scripture. In Exodus chapter 14, we see the Israelites, they've just been delivered uh, mightily by God from the hand of the Egyptians. And now they've come to the Red Sea and this is a dilemma. This is an issue. This is a problem. Have you ever been delivered out of something right into another issue? <laughs> Have you ever experienced freedom and then right on the back end of that freedom, there is uh, uh, something else trying to bind you up, something else trying to shut you down? Why? Because the enemy doesn't want you free. I said the enemy doesn't want you free. And the second we experience freedom in one area, we see bondage in the next. But the same God that got you out of the last test will get you through the next one. Amen. So here we are at the Red Sea. They've been delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians. And now they're, they're stuck because the Egyptians have changed their mind. They say, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. We can't let them go. We can't let this happen. We got to go back and get them. And they're pinned against the Red Sea. And if we go right now, we can get them back here and we can continue doing what we were doing. So that's a dilemma. And here in chapter 14, verse 13, Moses said to the people as they are pinned against the Red Sea, do not be afraid. <coughs> Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. He will accomplish. He will accomplish. He will accomplish it. Amen. He will accomplish your freedom. He will accomplish your salvation. He will accomplish your deliverance. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. This is Moses speaking to the people. Sounds bold. Sounds courageous. Sounds like he's charged up. Sounds like he's ready to go. And all of the responsibility is on God. He will fight for you. You will see his deliverance. You will see what he will accomplish today. You will see him move. You will see him operate on your behalf. You will see these Egyptians no more after today because of what God is going to do. And this is where this is where a lot of us end up. When we are in those dilemmas and we're in those situations, we're saying, God, what are you going to do? God, how are you going to move? God, how are you going to show up? God, what are you going to do for me? And God is responding and saying, it's not what I'm going to do for you. It's what I want to do through you. He's saying, I'm not going to do this miracle without you. I'm not going to just come down from heaven and just show up and just move on your behalf without you being a part of the process. Now, he ordained it this way because in Genesis chapter one, he gave man dominion. I said in Genesis chapter one, verse 26, he gave man dominion. Let us create man 
in our image, according to our likeness. And then he makes a very profound statement. He says, and let them rule. Let them manage. Let them operate in the earth just as we operate in heaven. Let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over all the earth. So he's placed the earth and everything within this realm, everything within this environment, within our responsibility. So for God to just show up on the scene and start working on your behalf and not even make you a part of the process would make him a liar. And he would be going against the word which he's already declared. He can't do it. We know that our God is not a liar. He's not a man that he should lie. So when he speaks the word, he can't go back on it. See, this is why when God was in a dilemma, as you know, how many of you know God had a dilemma? God had a dilemma because the very thing that God loved was full of the very thing that God hated. When man, which God loves, became full of sin, which God hates, we've got a problem because only a sinless individual can redeem man. But all of man is sinful. For through Adam, we've all been born into sin. So God's got a, uh, God's got a dilemma here. How am I going to save man when I'm the only one that can save man? So God had to find a way to put himself in a man suit, in a flesh suit. And we call him Jesus. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. So he took himself and put him in flesh. God could not just come down out of heaven and just start saving and redeeming mankind. He had to follow the principle that he already put in place. Man has dominion. So if I'm going to be able to save mankind, I'm going to have to put myself in flesh. So God can't go back on his word. And so everything that Moses has just declared, he will accomplish, he will do, he will move, he will fight. And then he turns to the people here in verse 15. And the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Now, that's not what you want to hear when you're believing God for a miracle. That's not the response you're looking for from God when you're believing him to show up mightily. God, I need healing. God, I need uh, 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 mending in my marriage. God, I need you to work on my behalf. God, I need you to fight for me. God, I need your favor in my life. God, I need you to work for me. And he's saying, why are you crying to me? Now, on top of that, this is Old Testament. We're only two books into this thing. And he's already saying, why are you calling to me? How much more than those that are filled with his spirit and those that have the Holy Spirit living inside of them, working for them and working through them. How much more are we required to be a part of the process? If he's going to require Moses, who does not even have the Holy Spirit living inside of him in the manner that we do, the Holy Spirit did not come upon him to empower him to do these works. Then how much more than those that have been given the mandate and delegated the authority of the kingdom? You've been given the keys of the kingdom, Jesus said. To the church, I will give the keys of the kingdom. And whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth is loose in heaven. So this is this is super relevant now. If it was relevant for Moses, it's even more relevant for us. He says, why do you cry to me? 
So you can picture Moses with the Red Sea back here, standing before the people. God's going to fight for us. He will accomplish it. If he brought us out of the hand of the Egyptians, he'll bring us across this Red Sea. He's going to go before us. Okay, God. All you. I set them up for you. They're ready. They're charged. I told them you're going to do something. So here we go. And God responds and says, why are you crying to me? Why are you talking to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. Has God ever told you to go forward into nothing? Has he ever told you, have you ever been at the Red Sea in your life, whatever that Red Sea might be, whatever your Goliath might be, whatever your mountain might be? You've been at the foot of that mountain. You've been standing in front of Goliath. You've been standing in front of the Red Sea. And he says, "Okay, go forward. Where? Where? Tell Israel to go forward. But lift up your rod and stretch out your hand. All of a sudden, the the responsibility is shifting. It's, it's, It's just, okay, God, we're ready for you to move. We're believing for a miracle. We're believing you can do great things. And then he starts telling you what to do. Now, this is just one instance. But I find repeatedly in the word of God that miracles follow obedience. Miracles follow obedience. Countless times in God's word, God gives a command before he gives a demonstration. He's instructing here. He's giving instruction. He, he, and it, it, you know, it's just, it's so simple. It's so simple we miss it. It's so simple because then we begin this. Now, what is this stick going to do? See, I, I wonder what the rod is in your hand. I wonder what the staff is in your hand. That you've been devaluing and you've been you've been diminishing and and you didn't believe could do anything for you. But yet it's the very thing when you had your because we all have it. We all have that burning bush moment. And God says, "Uh, give me that stick, that stick, throw it on the ground and turn into a snake. That 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 stick is what you're going to use. And now he's saying, use that rod. I wonder what it is that God has given us to use and we've been casting it aside because we don't think it can accomplish the great miracle we're believing for. We all have a rod. We all have a staff. We all have something in our hand that God has given you the power to wield, the ability to work his wonders through. His response is, Lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. Notice he's not saying, I'll do it. Now, we know he's the one ultimately that's doing it, but he's shifting the responsibility to man. 
He's shifting the responsibility to Moses. And every miracle is preceded by a command. You can go over to Jesus, who obviously had miracles flowing through his life. Miracle after miracle. Signs and wonders that, uh, that we haven't even seen the like of. Miracles. But before someone would get healed, he would give them just a small action. Take up your bed and walk. Now, I know that sounds simple, but to tell a lame man that has been lame for 40 years to take up your bed and walk. Simple instructions. But sometimes we miss the miracle for the command. We miss the miracle because we haven't been responding to the instruction in obedience. I don't want to miss what God is doing for what I won't do. I don't want to miss what God can do in my life because I won't do something that he's simply asking me to do. A simple command. There was one time he was in a temple, Jesus, and the individual came in with a withered hand. And he just gives them a simple command. Stretch out your hand. Simple. These people aren't even filled with the Holy Spirit. These people don't even have the, the, the ability, naturally, to respond to a command that Jesus gives. But simple stuff. Stretch out your hand. Stretch out your rod. I wonder what miracles are being limited in our lives because we're not obeying the instructions that precede them. I wonder what we are expecting God to do on our behalf. That he's waiting for us to obey a simple command. He goes on to say, and the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I, indeed, verse 17, will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them. And I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, his chariots and his horsemen. It's interesting what God takes responsibility for versus what he expects us to do. Jesus addressed this over in Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 4. He says, a wicked and adulterous generation. That doesn't sound good. A wicked, rebellious, and adulterous. Adulterous, adulterers are people that are in covenant with one relationship but try to enter another relationship outside of that relationship. An adulterous generation, he says. A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. A wicked and adulterous generation 
seeks the sign. I don't want to be a part of that generation. I don't know about you. I don't want to be a part of the group that just sits around expecting God to do some kind of work, do some kind of sign, do some kind of miracle with no responsibility on my part at all. But I want to be a part of the group that's saying, God, I need a miracle. And if you give me the word, I'm going to send myself out and I'm going to do it and I'm going to respond to whatever you say. And sometimes it won't make sense. And sometimes the instruction doesn't match the demonstration. Sometimes the instruction he gives you doesn't match the miracle you're expecting him to perform. You're the one believing for healing and he'll command for you to go lay hands on someone else. You'll be believing for a financial breakthrough and then he'll say, you got 20 bucks, go pay for their lunch. God, I'm asking you, I need money. What are we not understanding here? This is how God works. Stretch out your hand. You don't understand. My hand is messed up. You stretch out your hand. That's probably what you felt like saying. No, no, you, you have the good hand. I'm the one with the... You want me to stretch out what I have wrong with me so that you can touch it and do something with it. I serve a miracle working God. I serve a God <coughs> that can do anything beyond natural ability and natural belief. I serve a God that can work wonders. I serve a God that can bring a breakthrough when it looks like there's no break, when I'm about to break. I'm telling you right now, we serve a God that is at the, that he has created us to be the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. But I'm telling you today that he will not perform a miracle outside of an instruction to you. He will not perform a miracle in our lives outside of the responsibility that he places on us. And the next time you believe for a miracle, stop and say, God, what do you need me to do? How do you need me to be a part of the process? I tell you right now, you want to see a miracle in your life? Get quiet and listen for the command. Because the instruction. And the obedience to the instruction is the answer that will deliver the miracle. Some of you, maybe today, you know what that instruction is. You've been believing and you've been fighting and you've been you've been saying, God, I need this and God, I need that. And God, I know you can and God, and God I know you will. But 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 we haven't stopped long enough to say. Here's what I'm asking of you. But what is it that you're asking of me? What is it that you're demanding of me? What is it that you need me to do? And I'm going to tell you right now that the miracles that we see demonstrated in our lives are limited to the obedience that we respond with. The miracles that we'll see God do on our behalf are directly related. See, I think one of the greatest attributes that Jesus showed us <coughs> wasn't his miracle working power. It wasn't his ability to call dead people out of a grave or to walk on water or to tell uh, uh, storms to, to become peaceful. I don't believe his greatest attribute was his ability to heal blind eyes 
and to open deaf ears. Like I said before, that stuff is just natural to Jesus. He's just walking around and just making it like it ought to be. That's, that's all he's thinking. He, these ears are supposed to work. These eyes are supposed to see. These legs are supposed to walk. We don't have enough food out here. Well, we'll just take what we have. I know the one that created it anyways. I know where I can get more of it. And we'll just start multiplying it. The, 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 the sea. Well, I've, I've been I've been given dominion and authority over these waters so I can walk right on top of them. I can tell this storm to stop. The last time I checked, I was the one in charge on this planet. I was the one in charge on this. That stuff was just natural for Jesus. It would have been unnatural if he didn't perform miracles. But the greatest attribute that Jesus demonstrated was his obedience and his submission to the Father. Because everything he did in his life and in his ministry flowed from his submission to his Father. He would make statements like this. I, will, uh, I want them to be one with us just as you and I are one. He would say, wherever you tell me to go, I'm going to go. Whatever you tell me to say, I'll say. I don't do anything on my own initiative. Now, I know that we like to put Jesus on this pedestal and, and, and you know, he's the son of God. And, and, and all, but but to, to even make the statement, I don't do my own will, tells us that he had his own will. In fact, we see it demonstrated in the garden. He said, not my will. You can't make that statement if you don't have a will that is different from the Father's will. Not my will, but your will be done. Not my agenda, not my plan, your plan, your purpose. What was he constantly doing? Getting in alignment with the Father. I heard an individual say one time that, in Jesus' ministry, you see him spend a lot of time with the Father and very little time with people's problems. He would spend a lot of time in prayer and very little time with problems. We spend a little time in prayer and spend a lot of time on our problems. He would come down off of a mountain after staying up all night praying to his Father. And just start speaking to sicknesses. It it, it said that all that were brought to him with sickness and disease, all were healed. All of them. He didn't miss one. And there weren't healing lines. And we didn't spend three hours laying hands on someone and and waiting for, for the healing to manifest. It was done instantly. But he spent so much time with his father that that stuff became natural. And see, we want the quick fix. We don't want to spend the time to hear from the Father what is the will, what is the plan, what is your instruction, what is your command. We just say, all right, here's my next issue. God just becomes our, our, our problem solver. He just becomes the individual that we go to reactively when we need something in our lives. And we never stop long enough to say, what, am, am, I, am I doing what you want me to do? Am I where you want me to be? Am I following your instruction and your command for my life? There's all this list of stuff that I need. But but God, rather than coming to you with the list of stuff that I need, can you give me a list of stuff that I need to do? 
When's the last time we've prayed that kind of prayer? When's the last time we've gotten before the Lord and said, I'm not coming to you with any need. In fact, the Bible tells me, your word tells me that you already know my needs before I even declare. But I'm coming to you because I need to know how you need me to be involved in this thing. I need to know what you want me to do. I need you to know how you need me to be in position so the miracle becomes a byproduct of simply following your will. Could we get in that position? A miracle in motion. Miracles are motion activated. Miracles don't come to people that just sit by and wait for God to do something. Miracles come to people that are already doing the work of the king and that are in a posture saying, I need to be where you want me to be. And I need to do what you want me to do. And I need to say what you want me to say. And whatever you have for me, I want to be there. And then I won't even have to believe for the miracle. It will happen because I'm in your will and I'm in your plan and I'm in your purpose. We make a greater priority of the command than we do the miracle. We make a greater priority of the instruction than we do expecting God to follow our instructions. I think sometimes we place a greater value on God doing what we want him to do rather than us doing what he wants us to do. And I know that my God can do Miracles, worship team, right? I know that my God can work on my behalf. I know he will fight for me. I know he will accomplish this. I know he will go before me. But I want to be in a posture that says, what is it that you're telling me to do? What is it that you've put in my hand that I need to use? And I need to put to work and I need to put to practice. What is it that you have 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 given me access to that is the very thing that's going to bring my miracle. But yet I've pushed it aside and I've discounted it and I've devalued it and I diminished it and I didn't believe it could work for me. What is that thing? And how do you want me to use it? I dare to ask you today, what is the rod in your hand? I dare to ask you today that for the miracle you're believing for, ask God what is the instruction that you need to apply. Ask Him. God, you know my need. God, you know what I am believing for. But putting that aside, What are you asking me to do? Here I am. On my knees. In surrender. You you, you know why? You know why worship is so powerful? It puts you in a posture to hear him. It puts you in a posture... When, 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 you, when you get on your knees, there's not much I can do from here. I can't get in the way anymore. This is a vulnerable position. But when I'm in a position of worship, in a position of submission, did you know that you can worship with your mouth and not with your heart? 
You, you can come in here and you can sing these songs. That's not worship. That's just singing. Worship is surrender. Worship is submission. Worship is saying, I, I need you. I can't do this on my own. I can't accomplish this by myself. I need your power. But I'm in a position that you give me the command and you give me the instruction and you give me the direction. And then when I get back up, I'm ready to obey. I'm ready to apply. I'm ready to do. I'm ready to put into practice. I wonder what miracles are stacked up, stored up for us this morning that are just waiting for us to respond in obedience and just waiting for us to apply His Word and just waiting for us to hear His voice and just waiting for us to act on His Word. What miracles? He's not withholding. He said, I will withhold no good thing. He's not withholding. But he is waiting. He's waiting. They couldn't call. He couldn't call Lazarus out of that tomb until they followed the instruction to roll the stone away. But Lord, he's been dead four days. He thinks. See, there's always going to be opposition no matter how easy the command seems. Roll the stone away. Just roll it away. Very simple command. Stretch out your rod. Stretch forth your hand. Respond in love to your spouse. Obey your employer. Give that seed. It's a simple command. And there's always something in our minds that wants to push back. They say, but God. And he's saying, you have no idea what's on the other side of your obedience. If you only knew what I could do, if you would just step out. You only knew what was on the other side. Stretch out your rod. And the Red Sea will part. I will deliver you from the hands. commands and the instructions are for your benefit. They're not there to limit you. They're not there to restrict you. They are a safe place. And obedience to God's word is the breeding ground for miracles. Obedience to God's word is the breeding ground for miracles. Oh, how we need a people that are sensitive to hear his command and sensitive to follow his purpose and sensitive, sensitive. Obedience is not a, a highly valued attribute these days. Living in a world where we do as we please. And everybody has their own opinion or their own idea or their own way. But I can tell you right now, God has not changed his value for obedience. And God has not changed his value for submission. And the miracle you experience is tied to the instruction you obey. 
I said, the miracle you experienced is tied to the instruction 